Guys, uh, before we get back to Romans chapter 10, I'm going to do something that I, um, <laughs> I've never done, uh, and I've been in the ministry. I've, I've been ordained for 33 years, um, plus three years of seminary makes it 36. But um, uh, when I say things like this, my, my wife gets very, very nervous uh, about he's going to do something he's never done before. And I, and I, 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 I've never done this, that I can recall. Never have I done this before. Um, when, when I was when I became a Christian in 1975, excuse me, 1970, we, we were taught this. That uh, do you know do you know how the uh, FBI teaches its agents to detect a uh, counterfeit twenty dollar bill? <clears throat> what they do is that they don't they don't show them counterfeit twenty dollar bills. They show them the truth. They show them uh, the real thing over and over and over again. They feel it. They touch it. They crunch it. They you know they study it. They smell it. They they handle it and. So the, the, the idea is that the more familiarity you have with the truth, uh, that uh, the phony stands out. And so I've really kind of approached my ministry like that. Um, you know, just teach truth and, and the people of God will be able to detect uh, that which is false. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case uh, as postmodernism creeps further and further uh, into the doors of the church. Uh, two weeks ago tonight, uh, you, you may, last week, you know, it was Easter week, and so we didn't meet, but that, that week before that, you may recall, I was not here. And uh, Jeff, I think, explained to you that the reason that I wasn't is that I was invited to a meeting, um, and the, the meeting was, in, was supposed to be the Community of Faith. That's what it was called. The email was the Community of Faith, or the Faith Community, I forget. Um, was to gather uh, at Mississippi Boulevard Church downtown, uh, you know, on RF Bellevue. Um, and we were supposed to rally around the, the great wickedness that occurred in our city, the Leicester Street killings. And I felt an oughtness, a duty to go. I really did. And, and so um, I wrestled with it and struggled with it. And so finally decided that I had to go. And, and Jeff was very gracious to fill in for me. And so my wife and I went. Um, not really knowing what we were going to get involved in. And I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, whatever uh, preconceived notions that I had about it might be dangerous, it was far worse. I know I'm a master of overstatement. Harry Stuber will tell you that. But ladies and gentlemen, for instance... In this meeting of the community of faith, this is, this is for me the worst. We prayed to Allah. The community of faith prayed to Allah. We didn't pray to Jesus. That name was unmentionable in that, in that, that meeting. Um, I also witnessed a, a, a very well-known evangelical stand in the pulpit, who will remain nameless, with his arm wrapped around a Jewish rabbi, and call and this evangelical called that Jewish rabbi not simply his brother, um, but called him his spiritual brother. Now, gang, if words mean anything, a brother means that you're in the same family, and spiritual means that you're in the same spiritual family. And as much as I would like to be friends with, acquaintances of, have supper with, be, be uh, friendly to, 
any Jewish rabbi or any Muslim imam in the world. They are not. By any stretch of the imagination, my spiritual brother. There was a song sung at this meeting uh, that made a reference to the death of Jesus and the senior pastor who, this is, guys, this is in the public domain and that's one of the reasons that I feel like I've got to address it. It's in the public domain. The senior pastor at Mississippi Boulevard Church got up and um, uh, told the congregation that he was sorry that this this next anthem uh, had an allusion to Jesus, but that it was a part of their tradition and they liked the song and so we're going to sing it anyway. Now, guys, um, I have to tell you, uh, by the way, the, 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 uh, the sponsoring uh, group of pastors is listed right here. And um, I know some of them. I, others I don't. But um, uh, in, a, in a church, in a community of faith setting, um, trying to solve a social ill, we prayed to Allah. And a professor from the University of Memphis got up there and told us that we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And that we must do it as a, as a community. And ladies and gentlemen, I think our community must do it. But we can't do it. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we cannot do it. And apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ and pointing people in the direction of his shed blood, th- there will be no long-term solutions. There will be short-term perhaps. 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 But no long-term ones. <clears throat> now, guys, it is in that context that I'm about to do something. Are those screens hidden? I mean, uh, is, is this blocking off anybody's screen? I mean, can you see the screens? Gang, I do this with great reluctance. Well, not, maybe not great reluctance. I do it with reluctance. Because I really um, do not want... I, there are so many admonishments in the New Testament to, um, to not... Um, speak ill, particularly of uh, someone who perhaps is my brother. I don't know that, I, 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 but that's, but I, um, I feel compelled for you to see this. This is three minutes and 29 seconds, and then I'll comment, and then we'll move to Romans chapter 10. Jason? They put him in the grave, and they thought that was the end of it, but thank God on the third day he arose. He said, because I live, you shall live also. He wasn't talking about just breathing. He was talking about living an abundant life. Not a barely get-by life. Not a life filled with bad habits and addictions and lack and mediocrity. No, because of the price he paid, we have a right to live in total victory. I want you to get that down on the inside. Not partial victory to where we have a good family, we have good health, but we constantly struggle in our finances. That's not total victory. If God did it for you in one area, He can do it for you in another area. Get a vision for it. Don't get stagnant. Maybe God's blessed you and you have a good family, a good job, but you've had pain in your body for years and years. You used to stand against it. You used to believe you could be free, but now it's been so long, you've just decided This is my lot in life. Joel, I guess this is my cross to carry. He has paid the price so that we may be totally free. That means free from bad habits and addictions. Free from fear and worry. Free from discouragement and depression. Free from poverty and lack. Free from low self-esteem. 
You need to start seeing yourself the right way. You are not a sick person trying to get well. You are a well person fighting off sickness. God made you healthy and whole. The Scripture says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, Long before God laid down earth's foundation, He had us on His mind. Because of the sacrifice Christ made, we are a free people. And not just barely free, but abundantly free. One translation says, unquestionably free. I like that phrase, before God created the world, He was thinking about us. If you're going to be free, you need to know who you are. You're not just anybody, you're a child of the Most High God. He has breathed His very life into you. You have His royal blood flowing through your veins. It's the blood of a champion. You're not ordinary, you come from great stock. Your Heavenly Father spoke the worlds into existence. Long before you ever got here, He was thinking about you. And let me assure you, He didn't create you to be average. He didn't create you to barely get by, to have all kinds of things holding you back. You've got to get the right vision. God created you to be totally free, to have peace in your mind, to walk in divine health, to have good relationships, to have plenty to pay your bills. God created us as victors and not victims. Bring this up is, as you know, this gentleman will be speaking in the city of Memphis uh, a week from Sunday night. And um, not only that, <clears throat> there are members of our congregation who have bought tickets to go. And I can't tell you how that grieves me. Guys, if, if I loved you, I wouldn't want to see you drink something that would ruin you. People want me to, well, is, is he a Christian? Ladies and gentlemen, I do not know. I, I, I couldn't tell you if I tried. It's not my business. I can't see your heart. The only one in this room that I know is a Christian is me. And uh, because you have to settle that between you and Jesus yourself. But I can tell you this. That is a lie. That is so damaging. It is so misleading. It is so devilish. It ignores entire books of the Bible. And to think that that anybody who <laughs> who names the name of Christ would go is just is just but then to think that that there are members of our congregation who uh, find this this message altogether wonderful well gang let me just say it is not wonderful it is not the truth it is um, I, I hope you noticed that that it that little message was said in the context of the resurrection and I can tell you that the meaning of the resurrection was not to tell you that you were to be free from problems. That was not the meaning of the resurrection. That it is not, I mean, the, the resurrection was the declaration of the deity of Christ, but it was not to tell you that all is well and that you don't need to have any more problems. Gang, I can't, I, I don't know who's who and what's what. It's not my, it's not my job to determine that, but I can. I can tell you this, 
<clears throat> By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Who, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Gang, um, I was in a group not called the community of faith. And we prayed to Allah. Now, what would you call that? Guys, um, it is a grief to me, let me just say, I, I think I do love you as much as a pastor can love his flock. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, that's certainly not a perfect love. That's not a, uh, you know, the, the, he's the greatest loving pastor I've ever met. Because I'm not. But I do care about you. And I, I do, um, uh, do want to see you healthy. But may I say to you, that is the health and wealth message. And it is straight from the pit. The pit that smells of smoke. Stay away from it. It's damaging it is not the scriptures. Now, who's who and who's going to heaven and all that business, guys, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to give you that. I don't know that. I'm simply saying that that message and the, the, the community of faith standing to pray to Allah, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Um, I, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. And, and um, I'm, that's what I said. It was, um, it was far worse than I ever dreamed. I mean, the, um, the, uh, the, the one person who was not welcome there that night was the Lord of glory. For someone to have stood up and said, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, would have been stoned. That's, of course, an overstatement, Harry, just for you. Um, but, guys, um, I, 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 I think because this is, again, this is the... This is arriving in the public domain, and somebody needs to say something, at least uh, for people who, um, who matter to him. So I hope this is beneficial. I've never done this before. I, as I said, what I've sought to do is simply hold out the truth and, and hope that God's people would spot uh, the error as compared to truth. But um, I'll, I'll tell you just a quick little story, and then we'll get moving. But uh, the the uh, elders of Grace Advance are taking a a, um, a a seminary course together. I think you know that it's online. It's free of charge. You can take it too if you like. But it's about postmodernism. Uh, it's called Evangelism and Apologetics. But it's about postmodernism. And one of the stories that he tells in there. This is at Covenant Seminary. This is where we send our guys. Uh, uh, B J Odie and and Bryn Harriman and um, uh, the the wonderful Carmichael's. Uh, they're all at Covenant Seminary. But this is at Covenant Seminary. This took place that a faculty meeting had to be called because some of the students at Covenant Seminary were questioning the right of the seminary professors to give them grades. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is the encroachments of postmodernism at the seminary campus, at, at the seminary that we love. Um, because one of the characteristics of postmodernism is no respect for authority. Well, anyway... 
uh, it is. It is just uh, kind of wafting, and, and I don't know where... Um, I would recommend this. If any of you read Table Talk, that magazine that Grace Venture, it's a little monthly devotional booklet, it's still available to you uh, this month, March. There is an article towards the back by Jay Adams. If you know the name Jay Adams, he was the one that really started the Christian counseling movement years ago. I mean, he's 79 years old now, but he's got a little article in there. It will take you all of eight minutes to read it. Read it. <laughs> I will tell you, if you're younger than 60, it ought to scare the daylights out of you. I, on the other hand, will probably already be in glory. But we are leaving you a church. My generation is leaving you a church that is sick. And some of this is part of the reason. And I felt it incumbent upon us to, to speak towards it. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 10 and make some progress here. And, and we'll, um, we'll uh, go real, real fast tonight and, and cover... Uh, all of one verse, we hope. Um, we'll, uh, it's Romans chapter 10. We uh, just com- wrapped up 9 and 10 after six weeks. But then Paul goes on from there in verse 11 and says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him shall not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that's a new section in Romans chapter 10, and, um, and, and it's Paul, but, but it's, it's a new section, but it's also connected to the argument right above it. And, and the way that you can tell that is that he begins with the word for. Look at verse 10. For. I mean, Paul is continuing his argument. He's just building his argument. He continues the argument in verse 11. It's, it's what he's doing is just backing up what he said in verses 9 and 10. It's kind of, it's kind of more proof, more substantiation of his argument. Uh, that has preceded verse verse 11. Paul, knowing that much of his audience was, was Jewish, knows that there's nothing that is more convincing for a Jewish listener than the, than the Old Testament, than the Scriptures. And so, Paul uses the Old Testament quite a bit. In these three verses, I hope you'll note, he quotes from two Old Testament passages. We're going to look at them, look at one in a minute. This first one in verse 11 is from Isaiah 28. The one in verse uh, 13 is from the book of Joel. But Paul is basically saying to his audience, Guys, I didn't make this up, this, this gospel message. It is right there in your Bibles. That is, if you're a Jewish listener, it's right there in your Bibles. Isaiah said it. Now, just, just a quick... Um, um, detour, just for a moment. <clears throat> what I want you to also notice <clears throat> is how much Paul uses the Old Testament in his argument. How, how useful Paul sees the Old Testament in his proclamation of a gospel of grace. He, as I said, he quotes Isaiah, he quotes Joel, and both of those men live some eight centuries before Christ. How in the world could Isaiah have possibly have foretold this? Um, I want you to go to Isaiah 28, because that's what Paul is quoting in, um, in Romans 11. I want you to look at what, what Isaiah said in Isaiah 28. 
Isaiah 28, verse 16. Now, guys, uh, he only quotes a portion of it, and he doesn't quote it exactly as you see it here. He is probably quoting from the Septuagint. We've, we've talked about the Septuagint in the past, but it's not exact. But you can see what uh, Isaiah 28, 16. Uh, Therefore says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid... Uh, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for for a sure foundation. Here it is. Whoever will, whoever believes, will not be in haste. That's what Paul picks up uh, over in Romans chapter ten. Whoever uh, whoever believes, uh, now the the Hebrew says uh, they will not be in haste. But prob- Paul, as I said, probably picks up the. Um, the Septuagint version of the text, and simply says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, guys, whatever um, whatever differences there may be in the Septuagint and the, and the Hebrew, the message is still the same. That Isaiah is preaching and proclaiming us the gospel that Paul is in Romans, Romans 10. Paul is using as verification of his message... The prophet Isaiah. Uh, and Isaiah is not preaching some system of works, as did Judaism. He says, whoever believes. <clears throat> and you'll notice in the first half of verse 16, Isaiah calls the object of the believing, he calls him a stone. A tested stone, which is a sure foundation in Zion. That is, the way to escape judgment, ladies and gentlemen, comes only from availing ourselves of something that God has done for us. God says, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion. It's a stone. And whoever believes in the stone... That's the ones who will never be put to shame. Now, guys, um, who is this one? Uh, uh, Paul says, if you believe in him, who is this him? Well, the him is a stone, a cornerstone that um, uh, that has been tested. It's had all of the weight of the building that's kind of been sat upon it. It's a tested stone. Um, this this stone or this corner stone is tested and tried and, and has passed all the tests. Every test that was put before it, it passed this test. Um, and and in, the, in the life of Jesus, which is, which is his test, the apex of which is, which, is the, which is Calvary, could he stand up under the pressure? Could he stand up under the weight, and this cornerstone has passed. Gang, what matters in this text in Romans 10, and what matters, the emphasis in, in Isaiah 28, what matters in both places has to do with believing, not with working, not with performing, not with obedience. And Paul says, whoever believes in him, this stone, will not be put to shame. Um, no one who ever has, who has ever turned to Christ 
is is ever going to be lost. Um, this is simply another statement of eternal security. Whoever believes um, in him will not be put to shame. Now that's Romans 10, 11, guys. Um, now, I, I want to talk to you in my closing 13 minutes about shame. Whoever believes in this cornerstone will not be put to shame. Because shame is, is a hard thing to talk about in our generation. Because we live in a shameless age. Uh, nothing seems to embarrass us anymore. Um, Jeremiah said one place in, I think, Jeremiah 6, he says, this people has forgotten how to blush. So apparently our generation isn't the only one. But our generation has forgotten how to blush. You know, um, who is it that just... I have, a, I have a father telling me this every now and then. Not only do I not want my kids watching television, I don't want them watching the commercials. The commercials... Um, I guess it was Sunday night. Um, they had on uh, the year's funniest commercials. They, you know, they gather up all the funny commercials. Did you did you see any of that? I watched about I don't know four minutes, and every one they put on there was not was sexually explicit. We've forgotten how to how to blush. I mean, we can we can make movies out of people going to the bathroom. Uh, it's a shameless age. Years ago, years ago, 25 years ago, maybe long, maybe more, um, a guy by the name of Carl Minninger wrote a book entitled Whatever Happened to Sin. Remember that book? Maybe that's before your time, but I mean, it's still out there and it's well worth your read. Whatever happened to sin? And, 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 I, and I recall he said something like this, that in our generation, sin has been equated with crime. Therefore, because sin is now crime, we've eliminated God. Do you, do you see that? Because sin is against the righteousness and the holiness of the lawgiver. But once you make it crime, then there is no God to sin against. And he goes on to say that that crime um, is only a symptom of something else, like poor education or or a, a, a decaying inner city. And so we we no one gets blamed for it anymore. We just try to find answers and solutions for the social ills that we discover among us. So nobody wants to talk about sin anymore. You want to know what happened to shame? We stopped talking about sin. I want to show you something, and, and we won't go much further. <coughs> Pardon me, but I'd like for you to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. Okay, real quick, we got eight minutes. Um, Genesis chapter 2, the last verse of chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, you've heard that before. Now guys, go over to chapter 3, verse 8. 
I'll read you three verses. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, gang, the very same condition, nakedness, that in chapter 2, verse 25, has no shame attached to it. We go over ten verses and we find the very same condition now producing shame. What has changed? It's the same nakedness. Nakedness here, nakedness there, no shame here, shame there. What's happened? Sin. Sin has entered. And thus, shame is a part of our existence. And, and I, 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 one of my great concerns about the health and wealth gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is that it has absolutely no mention of sin in it. In fact, it seems determined to eradicate any sense of any sense of any kind of guilt or shame. Ladies and gentlemen, you better get this and you better get this well. Sin has separated you from God. Anything that undercuts that simple statement will harm you. One other quick thing and I'm done. In that same chapter, Genesis 3, something takes place. I mean, they're naked. You know what they do. They, they sew fig leaves together. They try to cover themselves up. They, they can't... Um, they, they're afraid of God now. They don't want to be in His presence because they, 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 they feel themselves, oh, way too vulnerable because they're naked, whereas it didn't bother them before. And the, but now... Sin has so twisted and perverted things that, that they want to cover it up. And their attempts at the cover-up of fig leaves fail them. So what happens? Before the chapter ends, ladies and gentlemen, in chapter 3, well, I'll read verse 20. It's 20 and 21. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Folks, maybe you've had this thought before. What do you get 
garments of skins. Somebody's got to slay an animal. There's got to be some sacrifice. There's got to be some bloodshedding so that a, a skin of an animal can be separated from its carcass. Here's the point, guys. There's a couple. The only thing that will ever cover your shame because of sin is something that God provides for you. Any other attempt to cover to cover the the inevitable sense of shame that comes from sinning. Any hope for that to happen is based on something that God does and God provides. And what you get in verse 21 is just this little snippet, this little appetizer, this little piece of your sin is going to get covered when blood gets shed. But it won't be the blood of an animal. It will be the blood of the Son of Man. And so what you end this chapter with is a couple who recognizes their shame, confesses their shame, has their shame covered, and then their shame is gone. But there's only one way, ladies and gentlemen, that shame gets covered. That's when you looked to something other than any kind of performance on your part and believe upon something that God provided for you. He that believes on Him will never be put to shame. Just another proclamation of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. And a glorious gospel it is, is it not? Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us of the great provisions that you have made for us in Christ Jesus. That the extremes to which you went were necessitated because of the extremes to which sin had separated us. And that separation has been breached. It has been bridged by the finished work of Jesus Christ. That, O oh God, is the message on which we lean. Having heard the promise that those who do will never be put to shame. We bless you for that, Lord, and do so in Jesus' name.